Welcome into the On the Clock podcast. I'm your host, Chris Burke. You can get me on Twitter at ChrisBurke underscore SI. I'll be joined here shortly by my co-host and producer, Eric Single, who's at Eric underscore Single. Uh, this is our last show before the draft, so we're here. We're almost here. Uh, we got a, about a week left until round one. We will have a show um We'll be taping right after round one ends, so we'll be taping late that night, uh, next Thursday, um, and should be able to get it in the wee hours of Friday morning, give you plenty of time to listen to it before uh, rounds two and three get going, and then we'll have another show right after the draft wraps, uh, after round seven finishes on whenever that happens, Saturday evening, early Saturday evening, I guess. Uh, we'll be taping again then, so uh, a couple reaction shows for you next weekend hopefully you'll check those out we did them last year too and if you had a chance to listen to those we hope you enjoyed them and we'll come back um this week our last show before the draft we have one of the co-hosts of the setting the edge podcasts uh charles mcdonald who's at four verts v-e-r-t-s uh on twitter play a little game of uh, what if with him um got some scenarios we're going to toss his direction see what he thinks about some of these draft prospects uh some of the ranges for a few of these guys, what a couple teams might do. So uh, just have a little fun with that before we wrap up for the pre-draft season. So, And then after we get done with Charles, Eric and I are going to dive in a little bit to uh, some of the NFL draft prop bets. I'm sure there are more than the ones we're looking at, but we got a few we're going to tackle uh, as well. So we'll get into that right after we talk with Charles McDonald. Our guest this week on the On the Clock podcast is one half of the uh, tag team duo that hosts the Setting the Edge podcast. I was uh, fortunate enough to be a guest there last week, so happy to return the favor here in the home and home and uh, welcome in Charles McDonald who you can find on Twitter at 4verts uh, as well as uh, in addition to the Set in the Edge podcast. You can find his writing at the Falcoholic, which is one of the SB Nation sites, and uh, he's an NFL 1000 analyst for Bleacher Report, too. So, Charles, welcome in. Uh, sorry, again, we couldn't uh, squeeze in Justice Mosqueda, your co-host there, but we appreciate you doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. It, it's going to be a little bit better without Justice anyway, so <laughs> I'm happy I could get the shine here. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you mentioned off-air. He's on that. We're, we're operating on Eastern time, and he's out in the... Uh, in Oregon. In Oregon, yeah. So, But we did uh, briefly, he and I hit on our mutual disdain for Brady Hoke last week, so this saves us having to dive down that well again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's what if week uh, at SI.com and Sports Illustrated Magazine. Um, well, we've got a bunch of stories sort of playing out scenarios. You know, what if Peyton Manning had been a San Diego Charger? And that, that sort of idea, just sort of looking back in time at, key moments in sports history and what it would have happened if they had gone another way. We're going to spin it forward a little bit here uh, instead of looking back at past drafts, playing a little scenario game here, a what-if game with the 2017 draft, which obviously is next week. And so I'm going to throw a few, we're going to throw a few scenarios at you here, Charles. And the first one up is what if Leonard Fournette falls out of the top 10? Which team stops that slide for him? Mm, That's... That's a tough one. Well, I, I don't have the draft order right in front of me, but I could see maybe the Bucks at their pick because, you know, with Doug Martin and his issues off the field and just going to rehab, maybe his future 
it was a little bit murky there. And if McCaffrey's off the board, I could see that makes sense for them. Uh, the Eagles, too, they, maybe they could pull the trigger on Fournette because I just don't think you want to roll with Ryan Matthews as you're starting running back because he's always been a little bit of an injury risk. And you know, when, when he's good, he's health. When he's healthy, he's good, but he's not really ever healthy. So I, I think the Bucks or the Eagles would make uh, a good spot for Leonard Fournette if he falls out the top 10. One reason I, we bring up that scenario is I think it I, I think it was this most recent Pro Football Focus mock draft. I think it was the live one they were doing this week had him slipping to was it forty, Eric? It was somewhere in that second round, right? I'm gonna try to nine forty. I'm gonna try to bring it up right now. It was. Yeah, I, I think it was forty. I want to say forty, but anyway. So <laughs> well, the, I mean, well then the argument one. was that you know once you get a little further down, if McCaffrey pushes to be the first running back off the board, and and Dalvin Cook's still in the mix there, and Maybe Mixon or Kamara, one of those guys, jumps up. That there may not be a natural spot for Fournette, and there's also sort of the discussion about if he's just a two-down guy, how much does that hurt his stock? Charles, do you see any way, sort of the follow-up what-if question here? I mean, is there any way he makes it out of round one, or do you think that that's just pushing it too far? I think that's pushing a little bit too far, just because he usually, I, I like, just from following draft media, like pre-draft hype the past few years, usually guys that get hyped up a lot by big media guys like Kuiper and McShay, those guys tend to go high in the draft. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he fell out the top 10, but if he fell out the first round, I would be pretty shocked. Because uh, I, I think even the Giants will have a hard time passing on him just because it seems like they're trying to add some pieces to that offense to take some of the burden off of Eli Manning. And uh, they drafted that running back from UCLA last year, Paul Perkins. And I, I think that Fournette would be a nice you know, one-two combo with Perkins moving forward. Yeah, I really liked Perkins last year. I think he's going to be a good back for them if they give him a chance. Uh, Eric, you want to hop in with scenario number two here? Yeah, um, we have we have the the core four of quarterbacks that could potentially go in the first round: Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and Mitch Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky. But um, as Chris laid out a couple couple days ago, there's plenty of teams that could feasibly uh, take a quarterback. So if uh, we end up with five quarterbacks off the board at the end of round one. Who is that fifth quarterback that sneaks in somewhere or gets enough shine here in the in the coming week that their stock rises that high? Oh, gross. I mean, I w- <laughs> outside the top four, I don't think any of, any of them are deserving to go in the first round. But I, I guess a guy, I, I, my guess would be either uh, Nathan Peterman from Pittsburgh or uh, Davis Webb from Cal. I would never, ever do that in a million years, but maybe you know the Falcons have been rumored to be wanting to trade out of the first round. So I guess if Cleveland goes, Miles Garrett, and then another defensive offensive player at 12, they could trade back into the first round with Atlanta. I just don't get the appeal of taking one of those guys in the first round at all. But teams, teams make mistakes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the reasons we wanted to ask about this is because we saw the report or taping Thursday, so we saw the report from uh, you know Todd McShay mentioned Josh Dobbs as a possible guy who could sneak in around one, which I can't comprehend in any scenario, yeah. honestly. But yeah. uh, I mean, I think Davis Webb's the one we've heard a lot about. Peterman, if I was choosing, Peterman probably would be the guy that, like, if I needed a quarterback and was desperate enough to take one as the fifth quarterback in round one, it might be Peterman, but. Uh, man, I, do you think four go? I mean, do you think that the do you think Kaiser even gets into round one at this point? I think he does. I I I think 
I mean, if just from following the storylines, it feels like Trubisky, Watson, and uh, Mahomes are, are locks from the first round. And I, I think even Kaiser probably, I, I guess his his ceiling would be 13 to Arizona maybe, uh, and then his floor could be 32 to the Saints if they want to pick uh, a backup to, or I guess the future to Drew Brees. But I, I do think that four quarterbacks want to go in the first round. It, it's just, just don't really have an idea of what the order is going to be yet. Who's your fifth guy, Eric? I... Uh... I think I think it's Peterman. I think from as far as the most likely fifth quarterback, I could see a team sort of betting on Davis Webb's tools and stuff and figuring, I guess, that a first-round pick is worth that project. But I, I'm more on Team Burke slash Gruden in thinking that Peterman's a little more, uh, a little more high floor, which is a little more attractive. Although uh, Josh Dobbs is certainly, he was always the front-runner to get the biggest bump from the uh, the Dak Prescott created uncertainty that we've all had to deal with this year as far as productive college guys that the NFL is nervous that it's undervaluing. So Dobbs is interesting because I was talking to uh, Justice about this the other day. He's like, he's not bad, but he's not good either. He's he's kind of like a net neutral guy where I don't I don't know if he's going to be the guy to lose you games, but I, I just don't think he's going to be a guy that ever leads a team to the Super Bowl, kind of like, like I think his peak is like an Alex Smith type quarterback, and that's that's just not something that I think you need to take in the first round. That's like a, like a round three guy, probably. That's sort of how I feel about Peterman too. I mean, is is there any chance Kaya is the, the fifth quarterback off the board? Is, is we feels like we've totally forgotten about him for the hype he had coming into this season. Maybe, maybe uh, a team is convinced that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they like what Mark <laughs> Rigg did with him last year, but. I you sound very sold on this quarterback yeah. class. <laughs> no, well, see, I actually do like the top four. And even yeah. like, I, I like uh, Watson, Mahomes, and Kaiser. And I even like Trubisky, too. But after that, I think it's a serious drop-off from there. Yeah, and that I think that's where most people have come down on, which uh, if there is a fifth quarterback, it would be – I just can't. The only way I could really see it is if there's a huge run up top, like San Francisco takes one, Chicago takes one, the Jets, the Jets or the Bills or someone takes one. And then Cleveland takes one at 12, and then suddenly his teams are just totally out of luck that want quarterbacks. So maybe like San Francisco, I guess San Francisco in that scenario already took someone. Maybe uh, one of those teams down there just takes a guy because they don't want to wait two or three uh, more rounds. But I, I, I think if you're in that position, you just got to take the L and hold on to next year. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, it sounds, I don't know. I, I'd be shocked if there's five quarterbacks, but. We know how much that position drives everything for the NFL. So uh, we'll swing from there back to the defensive side of the ball for scenario number three here. What if Hassan Reddick and Ruben Foster are both there in the 14-15 range? 14's Philadelphia, 15's the Colts, two teams that could use linebackers. What if they're both there in that range? Do you think they could both go back-to-back? Do you think... Reddick comes off the board before Foster. I mean, where do you stand with those two guys right now? Well, I think Foster is a better player than Reddick right now. But with the blow up at the combine and uh, I guess isn't didn't it come out recently he was going to need shoulder surgery again? Yeah, there was a report. His agent denied it, but there was a report that he might need like a cleanup surgery for the surgery he had. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's sort of murky there. I think Foster is a, a better player than Reddick, but. Reddick has done so well this pre-draft process, starting with the Senior Bowl, through the Combine. Uh, I know when the Falcons went to go work him out, Dan Quinn was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with Reddick. So I, I, I think Reddick will 
end up coming off the board before Foster in the draft, but I think Foster is still still the better player just because they, they've kind of had reverse draft process almost. Do you think that's the? I mean, Foster's hard for me because of the the combine thing, because of the injury. I talent wise, I just I have a hard time really buying into the thought of him plummeting into the bottom of round one in round two. I mean, I just don't just his talent relative to the rest of this class. I think he's got to be somewhere in that first round. And we did, you know, we had a show where we did sort of draft floors for guys. I, I think I'm with you. I mean, I think Reddick at this point, you, I mean, the floor for Reddick for me at the absolute floor, I think is probably Detroit at 21 yeah. is foster. I mean, sort of the same question from Fournette is could, could you envision a scenario where foster really does get to one of those playoff teams? Yeah, I, I I think when you look at the, I guess positional value of off-ball linebackers, it's it's not as high for uh, like compared to the other positions on defense. I think the the Falcons are a perfect example of positional value. Where last year they they hit on Keanu Neal and Deion Jones, who both had you know, fantastic rookie seasons, but for the most part, the defense was still just a disaster until like the playoffs started. Uh, so I, I think teams could. So like corner, uh, defensive tackle, defensive end, get you know, your, your secondary and defensive line shored up before you spend a pick on a on a linebacker. Which is why I could see him kind of like if he fell to the like Kansas City, I, that that wouldn't be that surprising to me. It would be a great pick for them, but I wouldn't be that surprised he fell that far. All right, Eric, uh, what do you got for number four here? At least in this podcast, we've been pretty low on the offensive line class and. Uh, it's sort of like the quarterbacks phenomenon where we uh, we dump on them for months and then in the in the couple of weeks leading up to the draft they start sneaking up a little higher in mocks and people start realizing the teams need tackles but if uh, no offensive linemen come off the board until right around pick number 20 so if if, if everyone from the Broncos on pretty much has their pick of uh, of, of the top offensive line prospects how, how does that sort of play into the the back half of the the first round or the back third of the first round for those playoff teams that might need O-linemen? I would expect uh, Forrest Lamp to be off the board really quickly to either, I know Denver just signed a a guard from the Cowboys, I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, Ronald Leary. Yeah, Ronald Leary. I think Forrest Lamp is honestly in play for Denver, Miami, New York, uh, Texans, Seattle, Packers, Falcons. So I, I think he's going to be off the board really quick. I, I I could see a team falling in love with Cam Robinson and his help side because he's still so young and he 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 blew up the combine and he's been a three year starter at Alabama and I don't really I think Cam Robinson get, kind of gets unfairly uh, knocked for some of his play. I I think he's a lot closer to being an elite left tackle than he is to being somebody that that's a swing tackle. And Garrett Bowles is kind of an interesting one to me because he's already 24 years old to be 25 during his rookie season. And I don't know if like the Danny Watkins situation from a few years ago is going to scare people off or Brandon Whedon where you're taking a guy in the first round and maybe he was kind of dominating his competition because he was 24, 25 playing against 18 to 20 year olds. Maybe that would scare teams off, but he's really athletic and I think if he finds a spot in the back half of the first round, he could be an instant starter for a playoff team like like Seattle, who needs help pretty much everywhere across the offensive line. Is Ramchek, you think, a first rounder too, or is that hip issue too much for teams to take that risk? Uh, I don't. I don't even think he's really a first round tackle. And I know it's 
it's going to sound hot takey, but that Michigan, <laughs> that Michigan game really just turned me off of him completely. He got whipped by Taco Charlton that, that entire game. And, and I don't really think Taco is a, a special player. So that, that kind of concerned me. And plus the hip, I, I think he's more of a day two guy. Yeah, he's. it's interesting because I think that there is, and again, this is a topic where I feel like we're in the space now where we're just sort of repeating some topics <laughs> that we've already talked about on past podcasts and through this whole draft process. But after those top those four names, there's some guard center talent, I think, in round two, but it's really hard to find day two tackles that you could say, all right, if we need him to start next year, we'd feel pretty comfortable with him starting at tackle. I don't, there's not more than a couple names that you'd even consider in that mix, I don't think. So I don't know if that would bump everyone up the board, but it's a guy like Ramchek too that, you know, maybe is a fringe day one, day two tackle, sort of the same way we're talking about quarterbacks getting pushed up a bit just because there is that huge cavern between the first and second tier guys. I don't know mm-hmm. if that plays to his advantage at all. Yeah, that's how I feel about the offensive tackle class too because at the top, I really like like Cam Robinson, uh I like Taylor Moten, Garrett yeah. Bowles. I think all those guys can really, really play. But after those guys, it it really, really falls off a cliff. And you're kind of looking at tackles who should be guards or maybe guards that you're trying to kick out the tackle. I I don't really know. So I, I do think that uh, like if Atlanta does decide to go offensive line at 31 or uh, the Packers decide to go offensive line at 29, I think we could see a guy like Taylor Moten kind of sneak into that first round. I was going to say, I actually wouldn't be shocked if Moten goes ahead of one of these. I, I still I still think Cam Robinson, I'm with you there. I, I Even doing our mock this week, I thought about him as Buffalo's pick at 10, uh, which he'd have to play on the right side there. I think he probably is more of a left tackle prospect, but he reminds me some of Cordy Glenn, who's there and who's been good for the Bills. And I just think because of his experience, because of his upside, he could be a top 15 pick just because teams need offensive tackles so badly. But I'm, I'm with you on Moten. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he sneaks ahead. I, we keep talking about these top four guys. I wouldn't be shocked if he sneaks ahead of someone. And frankly, I could see a team falling in love with Dan Feeney too, from Indiana. Do the concussion that... scare you with Feeney at all? Yeah. I mean, that, it feels like we have injury talks with everyone this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think in terms of plug and play guys and, it's sort of rare, like you don't want to base it off what's happened with like Zach Martin. I think it's unfair to probably mention him as as a comparison for guys, but you know, to get plug and play tackles is something teams I think look for, or guards is something that teams definitely on day two are looking for. So if you know teams are worried about Bulls' background or they're worried about Ramchick not being healthy enough with the hip, I I think we could see some shuffling of the of the offensive linemen down at the bottom of round one, early into round two, like you said. Um, our last scenario here that we'll hit you with, and again, I want to mention uh, here with Charles McDonald, who uh, is co-host with Justice Mosqueda of the Setting the Edge podcast. Um, you can see find his writing too, SB Nation, the Falcoholic website, and uh, NFL 1000 on Bleacher Report. And uh, wanted to swing into the Falcons here for our last scenario because i read your piece that was up i think it was this week on jordan willis right it was just yeah i, I think recently. i dropped that yesterday yeah so um read that one on jordan willis uh, being a potential fit for uh the falcons at 31 i know you've talked about Derek rivers maybe being uh, a guy that they could look at you just mentioned forrest lamp um if if he's there the falcons might jump at him so 
let's just take those three names. I mean, what if, uh, and I know that you kind of covered this in that, that piece I mentioned uh, over on SB Nation, but what if Lamp, Willis, and Rivers are all there uh, at 31 in addition to maybe, uh, I don't know, some other random couple pass rushers that fall down to the bottom around one? Do you think the Falcons' priority is in adding that second pass rush piece to Vic Beasley, or do you think it's in finding someone else for that offensive line? I think they would go lamp in that situation just because there's there's more uncertainty with uh, the right guard position than I, I think there is the second edge rusher position. Because just with last year, I, I think the back half of the season and the playoff stretch showed that you can get away with guys like, I guess, Adrian Claiborne and Cordy Upshaw kind of being pieces to your defensive line. But right now, the way the offensive line is looking with Chris Chester retiring all you have is Ben Garland who was a defensive tackle last year and Wes Schweitzer who was a sixth round pick out of San Jose State a year ago who's a tackle convert playing inside now so I would I would guess that they would take like five seconds to make that pick and go lamp and then see what the the options are in the second round as far as edge rushers go yeah the value is definitely there with lamp we talked about him as maybe being a top 20 guy Are, are those the just speaking to the Falcons specifically, are those the two positions? I mean, if Lamp's gone at if Lamp's gone at twenty and and Willis goes in the top twenty five, and you know they're down to Rivers and Charles Harris or Taco slips. I mean, is is definitely going to be edge rusher if if Lamp's off the board in your opinion? Yeah, if Lamp's on off the board, I think it's either going to be an edge rusher or I wouldn't be surprised if they just traded out of the first round altogether for a team that's sitting at the top of the second round and wants to get that fifth year option on a quarterback. Uh, but I, I do think if they were to stay put there and Lamp and Willis were off the board, I do think they would take Rivers just because I don't think you can wait until pick 63 to see if Rivers is still there. And if he's your guy, you might as well just go for it. And he, apparently the Falcons really liked what they saw from his workout and Dan Quinn and Brian Young went to go work him out uh, personally. So I would I would assume he's in, in play for 31. Is Atlanta a team that would, and obviously it wouldn't be early, I don't think, but is that a team that would take a quarterback in this draft? Uh, maybe on day three, but they just re-signed Matt Schaub to a two-year deal, so I, maybe that, that's probably more of a 2018 option. Quarterback of the future, Matt Schaub. Oh, <laughs> Quarterback of the past, present, and future. The past, present, and future. <laughs> and pick sixes. Uh, all right, well, that'll wrap us up uh, for today with Charles McDonald. Again, you can find him at 4Verts on Twitter. Definitely check out the Setting the Edge podcast. Uh, Hopefully you can go back and, and listen to the one I was on last week. I had a lot of fun there. And uh, again, you can find his work too at the Falcoholic and uh, as part of Bleacher Report's NFL 1000 series. So, uh, Charles, thanks for doing this. Hopefully we can get justice on either by himself next time or <laughs> we'll get the, uh, <laughs> the two-headed monster in here. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks one more time to Charles McDonald for joining us this week. Uh, sorry again to justice for not being able to squeeze him in here. I will try to remedy that in the future. Uh, I mentioned we want to hit on a just a handful of the prop bets for round one next Thursday night. There are, I think, player-specific prop bets, I'm sure, out there somewhere. We're going to hit a, a few more general ones. And the first one up, toss out to Eric here, over under 11 and a half SEC players in round one. So this is like the topic that I'm more interested in than in any other NFL draft topic, given my my sec leanings i'm going i'm going over i think uh i think that we're going to get four or five in the first 12 picks and then a a pretty steady 
uh, stream afterwards. Um, guys like Quincy Wilson and Jared Davis and Zach Cunningham, uh, I definitely think are going to end up in the back half of the of the round, if not earlier. And when we were just now sort of hashing out how many prospects eleven actually is, I think those are the kind of swing guys that this bet will uh, will hinge on. So I like I like their odds, and I. I mean, Foster's not going to fa- fall out of round one. We just talked about uh, his his stock uh, with Charles, but everyone everyone that's been locked in since January should probably pretty much stay locked in. Yeah, I'm going to go. I mean, I had 11 in the mock that went up this week, so I'm going to go under just because of that, I guess. But I could see it. I have six in the top 10, and then 11 total in the first round, and. I have Quincy Wilson at 32. I could see him slipping to day two. I'm, I guess Cam Robinson could go to day two as well. So maybe that would bump it down too. But the, yeah, those guys you mentioned, Draw Davis and Zach Cunningham, I think both have really good shots at being in round one. So and Marlon Humphrey. Um, yeah. It so also... I mean, we're talking about what at least 14 SEC guys that could go round one, and I'm probably forgetting at least one other guy. Um, yeah, it definitely comes down. I think the cornerbacks are going to be important. Uh, White, Wilson, and Humphrey. Yeah. Uh, since, as we have discussed at length, they nobody's nobody's really sure. Everyone knows that there's a lot of good ones, but nobody can peg down exactly where teams have them uh, ranked individually. And uh, Humphrey's a guy that that has some flaws but he's also been talked up among that sort of top tier of corners at different points throughout the process so he might be a guy that we're not fully considering that could jump in with the rest of that group and white has been on a steady rise since uh, the end of the season in my head the safer bet feels like over because we haven't even talked about I, i don't think ryan anderson's round one at this point but he's still out there tim williams if there's a safety run at some point and like a Justin Evans or Marcus May, I mean, there's a lot. SEC, of course, is loaded every year, so it's not a surprise. But, I mean, I think we're pushing close to 20 names that could easily be in round one out of the SEC. So, Caleb Brantley, gosh, man, maybe I should have gone over. Yeah. <laughs> I've stuck with under now. But I, I definitely could see that getting to 13, 14 names Montre- out of the SEC before all said and done. I know. I like Montrevious Adams. He's He's around. He's day two for sure. So. Yeah, he is around. That's for <laughs> sure. He's there. Um, well, I'm going to stick with under. You're on the on the board with over for that one. We'll move to our second prop bet here. Uh, let's go to the running backs. Over, under, two and a half running backs in the first round. Uh, it seems like over would be the easy play, and I'm going to tentatively stick with that for now. We were talking a couple podcasts ago about how likely it was that five went in the first round. Uh, but that's when people were a little more excited about Deontay Foreman and Alvin Kamara than they are now. But I think um, I think definitely Fournette and definitely McCaffrey at some point, and almost certainly Cook. And I think it's probably smart to, if, if you're talking like expected value, I would probably put like 0.25 or 0.5 worth of a first round pick on Joe Mixon going in the first round at some point. So the odds of that happening, I feel like are growing as we get closer. And so uh, there's, there's a, there's always a chance that happens. Um, So 
feel like I'm resting at three, and there's a chance one or two more could sneak in. So, but, but really only one. There's one or two spots where one makes sense. So I'm going to stay over. Yeah, I'm going to go over with those three because I think McCaffrey and Fournette are gone in the top 15. And then at least one of them's definitely gone in the top 15. I think both of them very realistically could be gone in the top 15. And then at that point, I mean, there are enough teams down towards the back half of the first round, Tampa Bay, Detroit to some extent, and guess you can make a case for the Giants, but the Raiders, um, Kansas City. I mean, there are enough teams that could use a, a running back that I don't think, I don't know. I, it's so hard with Dalvin Cook because it feels like he should be right up there with McCaffrey and Fournette at, when we're talking about maybe guys to go in the top 10. But I think realistically at this point, that's off the table. So he's really the he's he's the one. He's the reason why this is set at two and a half, I think. So I'll go over because I think he sticks in round one, too. What else we got? We had a couple more here, right? Uh, oh, yeah, let's go to the kickers. I know you've been studying this kicker class for a long time. Day and night. Uh, <laughs> all right, so the the odds, the, the kicker prop is whether a kicker will go in rounds one through three. But the first kicker will go in rounds one through three or in rounds four through seven uh, with the odds sort of heavily favoring that there's not a kicker in the top three rounds. So where are you there? Do you think there's a kicker in rounds one through three? I thought, uh, I, I guess I'm just looking at this written down for now. I, I thought that a, a third option was to was to bet that no kicker was taken at all. And even though they're sort of more stressful than a normal bet, sometimes I, th- I think it's more fun to bet on things not to happen, like no buzzer beaters in the NCAA tournament. But I think there's, there's no Roberto Aguayo like talent in this class in the first place and last year should have officially scared teams enough not to do that again at least for two more drafts and then it'll happen again when Roberto Aguayo's little brother who is kicking for Florida State now comes out (laughs) they'll they'll do it again the the kicker market is going to be pretty soft just because of how scared teams are of the uh, the quote-unquote PR nightmare in the late rounds of the draft when you spend a kick on a kicker that everyone knows is better spent elsewhere, um, but definitely not in the first three. That would be a that would be a one of the stunners of the draft again. Well, I'll I'll take it then. I feel like if I'm gonna uh, see I, if I'm high on Zane Gonzalez. Yeah, exactly. Well, if I'm betting too, and I mentioned the uh, it, the one we're looking at here, which is when the from when the odd these odds were released by the uh, William Hill Sportsbook last week, had the the line at minus two eighty for rounds four or seven and plus two forty for rounds one to three. And if I'm going to take a shot in the dark, I I want that return. I guess <laughs> I want to I want to find the underdog and go for the payout. So I, I I think there's at least a possibility that Zane Gonzalez makes it into the third round. I don't think he should and I pro- he probably will not but I'll go uh on that side of the ledger just to uh just to be a little contrarian here if I had similar odds I might even take like if it was plus 240 that a punter would go before a kicker in the draft <laughs> and a and minus 280 that the kicker would go first I might I might take that leap and and go for the punter the NFL needs more guys that do both like in college yeah I don't know why never, that's not really more of a thing that. in the NFL. Yeah, it seems like it would save. I mean, it's not really spot. a thing in the in college that much, but there are guys who do both. And and everyone that has kicked at that level 
was at one time a pretty good person at all three in high school. So maybe that's the sleeper. Maybe Kenny Allen from Michigan. Maybe that's a sleeper kicker punter <laughs> last year. They need a uh, they need a, a Shohei Otani plugging us a, a feature in last week's Sports Illustrated magazine. The the Japanese guy that can throw 100 miles an hour and hits home runs <laughs> like crazy. So. See, yeah, there's one of those Sp- out there. NFL special teams need their Babe Ruth. There we go. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up with this one, which is tougher for me now than it was a few days ago, I think. Over under pick three and a half. So is there in picks one through three a quarterback taken? Under is before pick three, right? I guess that's. Uh, yes. I, yeah. o- under would I'm, be picks one through three, I'm and high over on the would be so under everything would be, else. Under is higher. So, yes, I. This is this is the way it always works in the draft, and I think, I think it's most likely that the 49ers end up sort of surprising us by doing the unsurprising thing, since we've projected so many different things to them in the past couple of weeks, um, and then they take a quarterback for their new coach and just call it. Uh, there's a chance, based on who the Bears might want, that that is like that's the more likely trade option. Um, but I, f- I feel pretty good that the 49ers are going to end up taking a taking a quarterback uh, and taking care of the bet before we even get to the the dramatic pick. So I'm I'm staying o- or I'm staying under. I, I'm never going to get the over under thing right, but I'm going to stay under with that one. I'm going to go over, and that's again in the mock this week. I have the 49ers taking Trubisky if for no other reason that I feel like we just sort of bailed on that idea for two months. And in hindsight, I'm not entirely sure why we kind of gave up on it. And yeah, the rumors of the Bears, I mean, I I think at this point it's off the table that the Browns will take someone number one, but we keep hearing those rumors. We've heard those rumors too about uh, that they would maybe would take Trubisky over Garrett. I, I think all three of those picks, one, two, three, are defense. I don't think any of them are quarterbacks. I think the first quarterback is maybe with a trade up into the top 10, but over that three and a half pick slot that we just made up, Five minutes ago, maybe maybe, maybe we should have made it four and a half. Maybe, maybe if we <laughs> Jaguars should have been included. When we leave this podcast and become odds makers, we should think it through a little more. But <laughs> well, the, the Titans the Jags clearly aren't, aren't a taking a quarterback, so maybe that was the, the yeah. line in the sand we should have gone with. But next the year. die has been cast at this point. Uh, all right, well that'll wrap us up again. This is our last show before the draft. We will have one out for you uh, fairly soon after round one. We're going to be recording as soon as round one's over. So. Uh, I guess it might come down to how much coffee Eric puts on <laughs> that night and and how late he can stay up editing. But we'll have that for you by Friday morning at the latest so we can recap round one. Uh, and then again, right at the end of the draft, after round seven ends, we'll be taping again then, just sort of looking back through the entire draft and surprises, disappointments, uh, who did well, which players fell, all those things. So we'll we'll get into that. As soon as round seven ends, and then that one should be up for you on the weekend, too. So uh, a couple more coming around the draft and and after the draft. But this is our last one before the draft. So we thank you so much for listening all year from September until now. Definitely thank those of you who have pitched us some feedback, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, or you can find the podcast or on Twitter. Again, I'm at ChrisBurke underscore SI. Eric's at Eric underscore single. We'd still love to hear from you. Uh, Thoughts about the show anything we you'd like us to hit maybe that week after the draft even uh or plans for next year so let us know 
Thanks again for listening. Thanks one more time to Charles McDonald for joining us this week. And we'll talk to you after round one's over. Road to the NFL Draft has the same landmarks every year. The Combine, Pro Days, Private Team Workouts. But still, no two prospects take the exact same path to draft night. I'm Eric Single, and over the next month, Sports Illustrated's team of reporters will take you inside the 2017 NFL Draft through the eyes of some of this year's most fascinating prospects. A top 10 hopeful with a first round pedigree. I want to make history, man. Sean Taylor and, and Eric Berry, they went number five and they were the highest safeties ever. A hulking lineman trying to prove he has the discipline to drop weight. There's people who eat themselves out of the NFL, and that will not be me. A foreign import who has scouts buzzing even as he continues to drill down the basics of the game. I'm writing this letter to you today because I'm from England and I moved to two years ago. And a former walk-on who turned out to be much more than meets the eye. A little bit more of a songwriter than a singer. I want to develop both of those skills in my life. Together, their experiences and emotions tell the story of the biggest three days of the NFL offseason, the NFL Draft. Each pick is a player. Each player has a story. Get ready. It's draft season.